Wonderful. Thanks very much, Jack. Uh, let me have my welcome to John East. My name's Chris Evans. I'm the assistant pastor here. Um, should we pray for the Lord's help as we come to his word? Heavenly Father, please give us humble hearts as we come to hear from you now. We thank you that you are infinitely good and that your words bring life. And so we pray that you would uh, bring encouragement and life and goodness to us now as we listen to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are some um, moments in history, aren't there, where everything seems to sort of stop and kind of collectively the nation or, or maybe even the world has a sigh and wonders whether things will ever be the same again. Um, a couple of things I can think of in, in my lifetime. Um, the terrorist attack on the Twin Towers, 2001, September 11th. Maybe more recently, everything uh, going into lockdown across the world. Will everything be the same again? Maybe most recently, uh, the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, we, we knew that she couldn't reign forever, but for many of us, her death meant the loss of this sort of familiar, comforting presence, uh, this connection with the past uh, that we have always known. And it gave us some sort of hope uh, for the future, didn't it? And for many of us, when she died, an England without Elizabeth almost felt impossible. We, we knew it would come one day, but it almost felt impossible. Now, as we start our series in Joshua, we hit one of those uh, moments when history does seem to stop. Moses has just died, verse 1. And an Israel without Moses feels almost more impossible than an England without Elizabeth. If we were to flick back through the last uh, four books of the chapter, we'd see that it was Moses who confronted Pharaoh for the Israelites when they were in slavery. It was Moses who God appeared to. It was Moses who God used to bring uh, the plagues upon Egypt. It was Moses who gave them the Passover rescue. It was Moses who led them out of Egypt through at the Red Sea. It was Moses who met with the Lord face to face on Mount Sinai and brought the Ten Commandments to God's people. It was Moses who led them through the wilderness for 40 years to where they find themselves right now on the plains of Moab, right by the River Jordan. If you turn back one page in your Bible, or maybe it's just the, the opposite page, you'll see Deuteronomy at 34. Moses has just died, and this is how Deuteronomy 34 sums it up. Verse 10, since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. I think it's a hard job following Queen Elizabeth. Imagine trying to fill Moses' boots. His name 
you might have noticed in the reading, is mentioned more times than, than Joshua in this chapter. His shadow hangs over the whole book. Why is this such a big deal? Well, Israel, they're about to go into the land that God has promised them. He promised it hundreds of years ago. But not only is there a huge river in the way, and uh, as we get to chapter 3, we'll see at this point of year, the river is bursting its banks. It is ferocious. There was no bridge, no pulley, no ferry, no boats. Not only does that seem impossible, but Moses, the one through whom God had accomplished so much, is gone. The job seems an impossible one with impossible obstacles. You wonder what the kind of conversations would have been around the campfire. I guess the big question, how do we get to the promised land now? How do we get to the promised land now? And while on the surface these people seem very far away, we're actually closer than we might think. Because the Bible says we all want to get to the promised land, don't we? Not the same one that they're waiting for. No, that one has been and gone. We're not called to reclaim that old physical land of, of Israel today. But there is another promised land, a new promised land, the new heavens and the new earth that the New Testament points us to and says, this is the promised land that the one in Joshua was always meant to point towards, always meant to be a picture of. We want to get to the promised land too, don't we? And like the Israelites, as we journey on our way, we too can find ourselves in those moments where we think, well, how am I going to get there? Has everything gone pear-shaped? Will I ever arrive? I wonder what it might be for you. What, what particular things might bring those doubts, those questions up? Is it that God will change his mind? That he's not able to? Is it that we've been too sinful? I don't know what the reasons might be uh, for you. But one of the things I'm excited about as we go through Joshua is that we're going to see the faithfulness of God afresh in a beautiful way. What we see in Joshua as God keeps his promise and brings them into that promised land will strengthen our hope for heaven. Strengthen our confidence in God's promises, his ability to get us there in the Lord Jesus. We see a faithful God. But also I'm excited because we will see a wholehearted people. People who are amazingly obedient. Will be inspired to serve the Lord as they did. God's people, they're not perfect in this book. But as you read through, it is one of the most encouraging ones in the Bible for seeing how people obey. And it's my prayer that, that their obedience will inspire us too to reflect on how we serve the Lord. Well, how do we get to the promised land? It's a question on their lips, a question on ours. Uh, this chapter gives us three answers which kind of set up the whole book. So let's have a look at three of the answers that we get. Firstly, how do we get to the promised land? Unstoppable promises. Unstoppable promises. Verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. 
Now then, you and all these people weep, mourn for 40 days, wait until you've got over this tragic loss. No. You and all these people, get ready. Get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them. It's quite blunt, isn't it? There's no waiting about. It might look impossible to them, but God says, Moses has died. Well, get, get ready. Go. Well, what would, what would possess them to embark upon this madness? Well, it's because the promised land is just that. It has been promised. And it's as if God says, Moses might have died, but my promises didn't die with him. Moses might have died, but my promises didn't die with him. And just so they can be sure, he gives them three more. Have a look in verse 3. Firstly, he promises the land to them again. Verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. They will have the land. It's, it's a gift. It's in God's hands to give it to them. It's not something that they have to earn. It's not something that they have to get on credit. It is a gift of God's grace. And there's something interesting here in verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 talks about a land that God is giving them. But verse 3, the NIV disguises it a little bit. But if you've got another translation, the ESV says, I, not I will give it to you, but I have given it to you. Every place where you set your foot, I have given it to you. It's in the past tense, but they're, but they're not even there yet. Even though they need to go across and receive it, God is speaking as if it's already happened. Now, it's a little bit like, uh, like a, a check. Um, I had a look around for an old checkbook. Couldn't find one. Who, who, I don't know who uses checks these days. Um, those of you students under, under 20, 21 probably don't remember them anymore. Um, but they're a bit like a promise of money, aren't they? I give you a check for 20 pounds. And since you've got the bit of paper... Uh, you've as good as got the money in your account. It's a, it's a promise. As, as long as me, the person who's given it to you, is, is honest and the money is there to be transferred, all you have to do is go and put it in. I have I've basically already given it to you. Um, a friend of mine very kindly um, sent Sophie and I a check for our wedding. Um, it went to my old address and he phoned me up several months later. I oh, just, just wondered, did you, did you pick it up? And I'd literally picked up the post uh, the day before. But, but when we were talking on the phone, as far as he was concerned, he, he'd already given us the money. It hadn't actually exchanged hands, but it was, a, it was a kind of past action. God has promised this land way back. It, it's his to give. The whole earth is his. As far as he's concerned, it is already theirs, even though they need to go in and take it. Moses might be dead, but God's promises haven't died with him. His promises are unstoppable. He promises the land, but he promises them two more things. Uh, maybe Joshua thinks, but aren't there people in the land already? Uh, that's a, a good question. We'll, we'll think about that a little bit more as we go through our, our series. And in answer to that, God promises protection. Verse 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Joshua, you, you will face opposition but they will not prevail. And maybe he thinks it was just, it's just all, all too much. How, 
how can, how can I do this? Well, thirdly, God promises his presence as well. Verse 5, second half, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Moses may have died, but God's presence with his people hasn't. He won't leave them high and dry, halfway through, surrounded by enemies. No, God's promises are unstoppable. And as the grief of Moses' death weighs heavy on their hearts, as the sound of those roaring waters rings in their ears, and they ask around the fire, how do we get to the promised land? Well, God reminds them, it's, it's, it's promised. I've promised you land, protection. I've promised my presence. My promises are unstoppable. I don't know what might cause you to doubt whether we will get to the promised land, the one that this is only a picture of, the new heavens and the new earth. But I do know that God's encouragement to us is the same as it was for them, that we need unstoppable promises as well. And if God's promises didn't die with Moses, who stayed dead, how much more sure can we be that God's promises didn't die with Jesus, whose very death is part of the plan and who rose again, just as he said he would. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, all of God's promises are yes in Christ. So if you trust in Jesus this morning, be assured you trust in a God of unstoppable promises, who cannot be untrue to his word without being untrue to himself. And you can rest safe and secure, knowing that all who trust in him will get the promised land. 1 Peter 1 verse 3, in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope, not a dead hope, a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Unstoppable. How do we get to the promised land? Firstly, we need unstoppable promises, but how how are they to take hold of those promises? Secondly, we need a courageous leader. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, be strong and courageous. These are probably some of the most famous verses, if not in the book, in this chapter. Why does God give Joshua this command? Well, probably because he he doesn't feel strong or courageous at all. Probably feels very weak, very overwhelmed. The task is huge. Verse 6, you will lead these people into to inherit the land that I swore their ancestors. No pressure there. And if we were to read back through the last four books of the Bible, the people of God don't have a great history of being led easily. The task is huge. Joshua would be right to feel weak, and overwhelmed by everything that lies ahead. But those words, be strong and courageous, they're not just a divine kind of pep talk or an exercise in kind of summoning your inner hero. No, God doesn't command him to be strong and courageous without showing him how. Not by leaning on his own abilities or his own plans, but two things, trusting in the word of God and 
the presence of God. Look at the first of those, the word of God. What does being strong and courageous look like? Well, have a look, the next verse seven. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Being strong and courageous is knowing God's law deeply. Joshua is to know it so well that it's on his lips all the time. The word for for meditate literally means mutter, turning it over as he rises in the morning and as he goes to sleep. So his first response is, in any situation, is guided by the truth of God. One of the things about kind of having instant access to to, to books and things on our phones is that we, we tend not to kind of learn things by heart, do we? We tend not to kind of have as good recall as maybe, maybe we're used to because we can, we can just look it up. I wonder if Joshua is a bit of a challenge to us there. He knows God's law deeply. But being strong and courageous doesn't just mean knowing it deeply, but obeying God's law carefully. Did you see? He's not to turn to the right or the left. He is to walk the straight path that God has laid out. Not adding to God's law, not taking away from it, not ignoring parts that might seem inconvenient. You get the sense Joshua is really carefully reflecting his in, on his entire life to make sure there is no area that is out of step with God's good commands. If Joshua is to be strong and courageous, which he needs to be to, to do this monumental task, he has to depend upon the words of God. And as they go into the land, the temptation to follow earthly wisdom and tactics is going to be huge. We'll see that when we get to chapter 7 and 8. Things go, go a bit pear-shaped when they try something else. No, but Joshua's strength and courage are seen as he listens to the Lord. And that's going to look quite surprising at times. As we go through chapter 3 and 4, how, what's your approach to getting over a river? Well, just start walking through it and, and it will miraculously stop halfway. Chapter 5, what do you do once you're in the land? Well, instead of making the most of the element of surprise, what do they do? Well, all of the men get circumcised. Chapter 6, how do you take down the first city? Well, you walk round it seven times and make a big noise. None of these would be your typical strategy. But the Lord, they are the Lord's commands. And Joshua's strength and courage don't come from himself, but from trusting the Lord's word. But also they come from trusting the Lord's presence. Imagine crossing into that land and not knowing what lies ahead. Well, God promised that he would not leave them high and dry. We saw it in verse 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. That comes just before he says, be strong and courageous. Then we get it three times, and as if to kind of bookend it, he says it again, verse 9, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Just like when the Lord asked Moses to do what seemed an impossible task, God reassured him, no, Moses, I'm going with you. 
so Joshua can find strength and courage in the presence of the Almighty at work. Joshua can be strong and courageous not because he's great, but because his God is great. And God's words and God's presence give him the courage that is lacking in his own heart. But I think it's worth remembering, Joshua isn't kind of plucked out of thin air as some kind of new character at, at this point. He's been prepared for this all of his life. He's not a, we kind of read it and think, oh, he's some kind of whippersnapper, maybe late 20s, pretty athletic. No, he's one of the original spies who were sent to investigate the land 40 years ago. So he was probably at least 20 at that point. 40 years later, he's probably at least 60 years old now. And he has seen what strength and courage according to God look like. If you go back to Exodus 17, they've just come out of Egypt and they face the Amalekites. And Moses tells Joshua, go out to fight, take some fighting men with you. But whilst Moses is fighting down here, Moses is up on the top of the hill. If you know the story uh, with a staff, the staff that God gave him in his hand. And as they're fighting down here, uh, Moses is holding up his staff. And as the staff is up, Israel are prevailing. And as he gets tired and the staff goes down, well, the Amalekites, they, they start to take the advantage. And up and down until the point where they, uh, people come and hold Moses' arms up for him. Then he has to rest it on, on a rock. And eventually... The Israelites win. And the story finishes with these words. Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. But no one more than Joshua could know who the real victor was. As he was fighting down here, as he saw Moses up there. God himself was fighting for them. God's presence was with Joshua fighting for him then, all those years ago. And surely that would stay with him now. And in fact, the very name Joshua means Yahweh saves. Maybe only at this point now does he begin to appreciate what a great name he's been given. Imagine every time someone sort of asks him uh, kind of for help uh, or kind of talking through what, what's happening next, strategy meeting in, in the evening. Yahweh saves. Uh, what do you think our strategy should be tomorrow? Yahweh saves. How many people do you think we're going to be fighting against? Yahweh saves. I've come up with this great military tactic. Can I, can I work it through with you? Yahweh saves. Built into his name is a reminder where his strength and courage come from. How are they going to get to the promised land? Well, unstoppable promises and a courageous leader to take them there. But why is such a leader so important? Because the leader sets the tone for the whole nation. If we jump to the end of the book of Joshua, we see the effect that Joshua's leadership has. Chapter 24, verse 31, I think it'll be up on the screen. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. They served the Lord while Joshua was leading. Obedience to God led to life and success for his people. But disobedience in a leader would lead to curse and death. Listen to what happens a few years later in Judges chapter 2, when Joshua has died. Chapter 2, verse 8 goes, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died at the age of 110. 
They buried him in the land of his inheritance. Verse 10, after that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Joshua was a wonderful leader whose courageous obedience led to life. But he can't be our leader. The promised land that he and the rest that he brought to Israel, they were good, but they were only partial, a picture of something greater. And we need a leader who can take us through far more than a big river. We need someone who can take us through the rivers of death itself and into the everlasting heavenly rest. Over a thousand years later, another Joshua is born, or the version of the name that we're used to hearing, not Joshua, but Jesus. One who was strong and courageous beyond even Joshua, one who kept God's word perfectly, who knew God's presence permanently, who trusted God's plan unswervingly, even when it involved his own suffering and death. I mean, Jesus, we have the only one who has gone through the rivers of death for us in our place and is able to bring us through death into the new creation, the promised land as well. If we want to get to the promised land, he is the courageous leader that we need. But will we follow him? Will we follow him? Since the queen's death, Opinions about Charles have kind of varied. Um, will people take him as the new head of the royal family or not? Um, the jury's sort of out a little bit, maybe. Um, and as we come to the last verses, 10 to 18, we might well ask the same question of Moses and Joshua. The people have got unstoppable promises to cling to. They've got this courageous leader to take them there. But will they follow him? Will they follow him? Will they be an obedient people? That is the third thing that we need to get to the promised land. We'll have a look down. In verse 12 to 15, Joshua approaches the most unlikely candidates for following him. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Back in Numbers 32, they asked Moses if they could actually have uh, this bit of land east of the Jordan. Before we go in, actually, this looks quite nice, Moses. Can we have this bit here? Uh, and Moses was, was feared that, that maybe they were trying to get out of, out of the, the fighting, out of all that taking the land would involve. Maybe they thought, we'll just have this bit of here. It looks nice. Maybe we won't need to kind of go through everything. But a condition of their having this bit of land in the east to rest in was that they would first, when the time came, go over the Jordan to help their brothers receive the land that God had promised. So when Joshua comes to them now, he, you can go back and compare, he uses pretty much the exact wording of what went on between them and Moses when the agreement was made. Verse 14, your wives, your children, your livestock, they may, stand in the, they may stay in the land that Moses gave you, east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they have taken possession of the land 
the Lord your God is giving them. Only then can they cross back and join their families. Now in these unstoppable promises, in this courageous leader, God has been so faithful to them. He's even given them the land that they asked for. Now will they be faithful? Will they be obedient to him? Will they go? Or will they say, well, we made that promise with Moses and, and he's dead now. Will they divide Israel in the process? Well, before we see the reply, we just need to spot a, a pattern here between God's promises and the obedience that his people are called to. The people here aren't called to an obedience that earns God's promise. Remember, the land is a gift. They're called to go. But the land has been promised. It is a gift, like a check. But they are called to an obedience which believes the promise, which enjoys the promise. And when you believe and enjoy something that's been promised to you, you act accordingly, don't you? Like you would act when you receive a check. No, they're not called to an obedience that earns the promise of God. That has already been given graciously, but they are called to an obedience that enjoys and believes his promise. Knowing their track record, we might not expect very much, but it's nothing short of inspiring. Verse 16, they come together, whatever you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Extraordinary. Whatever, wherever, count us in. They know it might be costly, but it's a beautiful picture of a united Israel. Not just in obedience to God, but support for, Mo for Joshua and for their brothers. And you see, only two things matter for them. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. It's the Lord that they want, first of all. As long as he's with you, we're in. And verse 18, only be strong and courageous. They want Joshua to be the kind of leader that God wants Joshua to be. What encouragement they are. These are the people that get to the promised land. They hear the promises, they see the leader, and they follow the leader as he follows the Lord. And they do it as one people. As we close today, but, but kind of start our series in Joshua, that the same question goes out to us. We've heard the unstoppable promises of God in Christ to bring us to the new creation. Will we cling to them? We've been given this courageous leader in Christ, the greater Joshua, who's done everything to make it possible for us to get there. And he is calling us to trust in him, to be an obedient people and to help our brothers and sisters to do the same, that we might all enter that promised rest. Will we wholeheartedly say, whatever you command, I will do. Wherever you go, I'll go. Jesus' call to obedience is not about earning his promises, but enjoying them. And maybe if we sense that the Lord is calling us to a greater devotion this morning to him, to examine our hearts afresh, as I, as I know he is for me, then as we enjoy and consider those promises will be the best place to start if we long to be an obedient people to enjoy the promises that are unstoppable and to follow our courageous leader the lord jesus that's how we get to the promised land let's take a moment
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing faithfulness. We thank you that your promises are true and that you cannot be unfaithful to what you have promised. We praise you for the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus. We praise you that we see so much more of your work in the world and your salvation plan than God's people here in Joshua did. We thank you for how unstoppable we have seen your promises are working out throughout history. We thank you that in Jesus you've shown us a leader who is stronger and more courageous than Joshua. A leader who has given everything for us. A leader who we can amazingly know not just as our leader, but also our friend and our brother. And Father, we pray as our hearts long to enter that promised rest when the Lord Jesus returns or or calls us home first. Help us to each day strive to enter that rest by being obedient to you, by enjoying your good promises and following your courageous leading. In his name we pray.